Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 535 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. Joe and Todd here. Todd, how are you today? I'm doing good. My, my my partner, the man who's failed to experience failure, Joe Sposto. The man who has failed to, to experience, experience failure. Failure. Oh, There's no, a lot of negatives in that sentence. Is that a good thing or a bad thing you're saying about me? I think it's a paradox, but uh, it's better than having one duck is having a paradox. I thought there was 13. Ah, Okay. <laughs> 13 docks i got you i got you and a war dock well i saw a picture where he doesn't count or something no you're thinking of grand moff tarkin uh doctor who okay anyway uh hey the year's almost <laughs> over right right all right um oh you know they're talking about it publicly i might throw it at the end of this and then mention it, of course, on uh, At Odds this week. But, you know, if you're saying it publicly, what am I going to do? Oh, and before we, oh, you know what? Uh, hey, here's what we got to talk about this week, right? Right. Because it's the end of the year, we're, it's slim pickings on news. Mm-hmm. It's um, poor UCS. What happens to them now that DC uh, didn't want them or they didn't want DC? Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I haven't set my clock in a while, but it is t- time for one of the best superheroes of all time to get a new s- costume for three <laughs> to nine months. <laughs> right. Fresh coat of paint. Well, I don't know if... You, well, we'll get into how fresh, quote-unquote, this may be. Uh, something to mention in convention talk. Hmm. Okay. Uh, digital books and sales, of course. Um, light news week means heavier news on books as we'll be discussing King and Black number two, Department of Truth number four, and Maestro number five. Sure, why not? Now, this is where I'm a little confused because I was putting, oh, that's right, I grabbed, okay, that's what it was. My mind is fried sometimes. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it is four, but I had seven written because I grabbed the wrong link. Anyway, uh, what we're looking forward to coming out this week, uh, Todd's Art Attack, of course. We had a bunch of those to discuss. And spoiler-filled discussion of Wonder Woman 84. Yes, I'm sad I missed eighty. I missed two through 83. But uh, hopefully I can keep, get caught up, Joe. You know, Todd, that's the first time I heard that joke. Good, because I never recycle jokes. No, because everyone that joked about it put it out in a tweet, and I don't have voice tweet, so I've read it a million times. Oh, that makes sense. But that's the first time I've actually heard it. Good. I'm glad I'm breaking new ground for you. Yes. And to end the show, because I think there's enough of them, uh, and we used to do this back in the day with the uh, Marvel Cinematic Films, we're going to rank the DC Expanded Universe Films. As you said when you proposed this bit, all number ones. It's a nine-way tie for number one. (laughs) That's right. And I'll say it's not going to be that easy. 
Wait, nine, ten Green Lanterns in there, right? No. Oh, okay. Then I have to reach. I have to redo my list before the you want to put Green Lantern. Like, I, I, I sent you the list. No, I'm joking. I, I just did that because you're such a big fan of the old Double R, Joe. The only the only film franchise that acknowledges that that movie exists is the Deadpool film franchise of all things. <laughs> the best Deadpool. That's right. The official Deadpool. Unless it's written by the Rob, I don't care. Oh boy, couldn't get any better. Even if the Rob wrote it, lateral moves. Mm-hmm. So uh, UCS, which was the distribution arm that was set up by Midtown Comics to mm-hmm. split the distributing of DC's books once they split from Diamond. Uh, but a month or so ago, the story came out that DC was going to go strictly with Lunar, which is the discount comic book service, DCBS. Lots of C's, lots of S's, so it gets very confusing. Right. So it appears as though uh, with UCS no longer distributing DC books, they are not going to get folded back into Midtown Comics. They're going to exist as their own separate distribution entity. Mm-hmm. Um, which leads me to believe that it's going to be one of these non-brick-and-mortar comic book stores. You know, a lot of times you'll see different companies do um, retailer-exclusive covers and stuff. Right. And I think that's what UCS is going to be. Like, they're still going to be, I think, tangentially involved with Midtown Comics. um, Because they do have a bunch of back catalog of Midtown Comics variants on their site. Right. But it looks like going forward, they're going to be their own exclusive distributor of back issues, collectibles, and exclusives. Right. Um, Do you think it's at any point a chance to just get their foot in the door and then be like competition for diamond. It's an interesting strategy. Um, I, I can only imagine that they built up enough of a fan base in that five to six month time that they're able to sustain themselves by doing this. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing I can imagine, but you make a really good point that they're, Maybe looking to not be the DC distributor, but to be a competitor to Diamond altogether. Right. And because Midtown did the subscription service for Marvel, you would have the biggest cut of the pie. Like you you have an you have access to them because everything you would want you'd have to get through Diamond. Do you know what I'm saying? So yeah. if you have Marvel, you can have the other little fishes line up. If you you know what I mean, be like, oh, image is like, oh, we can sell here too. Valiant, oh, we can sell here too. You know what I mean? Like, that's more money for us. So it, I just have this weird like sensation of them going like, oh, we're gonna try all this, and then maybe we'll try because nobody had DC's you know exclusive to somebody else. We can we could start uh, uh, be going right to retailers if that makes any sense and who and like i always said diamond needs competition so yeah that's just my little take on things again you bring up a very interesting um twist on it because like i said i i was just looking at it as they were maybe so not even to compete with diamond it looked as though they were going to attempt to compete with 
discount comic book shop. Right. Because essentially you could order through discount comic book shops everything that you could order through Diamond. Mm -hmm. Plus DC stuff. Right. Whereas it looks like through UCS's new model, you could order everything but new releases, tons of back catalog of single issues, variants, and then it's like all of your uh, green section, your merchandise section. Right, right. And I get that. That's going to be like, I, I see what you're saying, how it would be like a, you know, uh, an online, a big online store. But there are a few of them because you have Midtown, you have, uh, I'm trying to think what my comic shop, but they don't carry as much merchandise. So maybe the green section is a big, thick section of, of preview. So that would be an interesting take on it. I, I don't know. Like I said. Right. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes forward. Again, them doing their own branded exclusive variants makes me think that it's not going to be a diamond thing, but it very well could be, you know, they mm -hmm. could have some sort of venture capitalist assisting them. It's like, Hey, let's take down while well, DCBS is in a state of flux with DC while diamond is in a state of flux, losing DC. Maybe we could take a piece out of both of them maybe mm -hmm. big enough that we could be a competitor. Right. Let's just see how it all works before we, you know, go full hog. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the other bit of news is the official announcement of Spider-Man's new costume mm -hmm. from the press release over the years, Spider-Man has donned a host of iconic costumes from his classic digs to the black suit to Iron Spider. Now, in 2021, everyone's favorite wall crawler will get a brand new costume to add to his legendary wardrobe. Designed by superstar artist Dustin Weaver, the vibrant new look is unlike any that Peter Parker has worn before. This mysterious look can be seen on the variant cover for six, Amazing Spider-Man 62, and 63. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's spinning out of the current sins, rising storyline, so on and so forth. Um, it's very silver and gold and white and blue. Right. Um, I'm not up to that part in the storyline because it looks like we're not getting it until like, like Spider-Man comes out twice a month, sometimes three times a month with the current schedule, the way that it's working. Um, so we're still at least like two or three more issues before like this suit even gets teased. Mm -hmm. And I saw our good buddy DJ on Twitter <laughs> said that this just looks like uh, the old gravity costume that Robert Kirkman did for that gravity character he did for Marvel way back when. Right. He's not wrong. And he's not wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and I was going to ask, is that how you were stooged off to this news? Because that's how I saw it. No, it was not stooged off by the dooge. Uh, Stooge dooge? Yes. Uh, that being said, I don't know. I like Spider-Man, so I do have some blinders for him. Um, even in the press release, it's kind of intimating that he's not going to... Like, this is not like a permanent change or something, you know? Mm -hmm. I um, think this costume falls right behind the paper bag on his head squarely 
well, going through some back issues recently, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I'm a fan. Rem- do you remember the original Identity Crisis, Todd? Yes, I do. The real, not the DC one, the Spider-Man one that DC ripped off. Mm-hmm. Where Spider-Man, to even like further complicate his life, created four separate personas. Right, just like they were ripping off the four Superman. Yeah, got it. This was, uh, this was maybe four to five years after the multiple Superman. Right, right. So not technically a ripoff, right? Mm, close enough. But no, I remember it where he had the four different, you know, identities other than Spider Man. Yeah, and then th- then somebody else picked up those identities, <laughs> and then they were a team called the right. Slingers. Oh, that's right. Yes. Every- Everyone remembers the Slingers, right? That's right. They had a club, didn't they? Whitman, Price, and Haddad. Right. The Slingers Club. <laughs> but um, I, I feel as though this may be akin to DC doing all of their Batmanized versions of people or their Jokerized versions of people just so they could spit out an action figure of that. Right. Uh, but I mean, I think, I don't know. I, I look as doing something like that is more of when they, when DC was putting out all their uh, core ring characters when everybody got a, like, you know, a, a costume there. And I equate that to everybody getting a venomized version. This just seems like, eh, let's just, you know, throw a Spider-Man costume at the wall and see if it sticks. And, I just look at it. I'm not the Spider-Man guy that you are. It's just a little too bright and busy for me. But uh, to each his own. So again, we mentioned it was a lean week for news, huh? Right. Hey, when you can break in, you know, Blackest Night characters, then you know you're really hitting the high mark on this show. Uh, so I mentioned convention news, Todd. Right. Right. Uh. I got approved at Super Secret Science job for the days off for Baltimore Comic-Con. Whoa! So if Baltimore Comic-Con happens on its intended dates, mm-hmm. um, 10 months from now, I shall be uh, ready to go. Now, now, because I have to know this. Are you planning on just like, yeah, I'll do a Saturday? Or like, do you have, do you have the con on? I have the Friday and the Monday. Friday into Monday? Well, right. So Saturday and Sunday, typically I don't work. Okay, I didn't know. I thought you worked Saturday doing a little science on the side. Some, sometimes, sometimes. Right. But I, I think I could finagle out that, you know? Mm-hmm. Saturdays are a little bit easier to get rid of if need be. A three-day con sounds like fun. Possibly. Um I'm 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 slightly less hopeful for that actually coming to pass with the way that the world is going. Um, a little bit more optimistic about a two-day thing around the third weekend in July involving professional wrestling at a drive-in theater. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Is that one of them? Uh, the the uh, my Hogganet drive-ins. Yes. Okay. All right. Interesting. You have to tell me about that. Hopefully a lot of people will come together and hang out, you know, let's mm-hmm. do it sort of thing. Right, right. That's all. If you're going to tease it publicly, I can say <laughs> what I was told privately, I guess. I don't know. So True. I did. Right. 
Um, but again, no conventions going on currently. Um, I'm sure once they do, um, a giant flag will go up and we'll discuss it as it happens. But of course, more important notes would be, uh, soon to be named network, soon to be named network.com, soon to be named network.tumblr.com. All the shows in our, uh, conglomeration grouping of friends, uh, whether it be this show, Longbox Heroes After Dark, uh, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, Add Outs with Wrestling, Final Wrestling Place, and Wednesday Night War. Anytime they go live, they'll all go up on uh, soon-to-be-named-network.com. And anytime anyone from those shows appear on other shows, and they, let, they let me know. It'll go up there. I know Marcus is supposed to be appearing from a final wrestling place on some other podcast. He just needs to remind me when that goes live. I know two weeks from now, DJ is going to be on something or other. We were talking about that today, and uh, he'll just need to remind me about that. Um, but again, soon to be named network.com, soon to be named network.tumblr.com. Mm hmm. Uh, also, over there in the show notes with uh, all of the episodes as they go up is Friends of Ours doing stuff. Our local comic book shop, Comic Con the Green, does a brisk mail order business, even though the mail may be running suspectly these <laughs> days. They still get your books out in a timely fashion. I see people doing unboxing videos of how nice the packages come. Yes. And also some of those packages have fancy art from our good friend Becky on there. Uh, her original art can be found at her Instagram page. And the link to that uh, is in the show notes. Uh, other friends, including Rick Williams, the Chop Shop, who does his cool resin figurines. Uh, Jason Sandberg's Jupiter and Chris Runt's Battle Monsters. Both are available at Comixology. Uh, and I think Chris had even intimated that if he does some other printing of something... He's going to have pull quotes from you and I, or at the very least, the podcast on the cover. Right. I forget what it was, but it was, oh, was it uh, something adjacent was the, was the quote. I think it was endorsement adjacent. Right, right. Yes, yes. Uh, but I say that's good enough, as long as they get the, uh, you know, your name right or my name right or the, or the podcast right. That's all that matters. Exactly. And that scratches something off my bucket list. So Exactly. Uh, but like I said, those are always in the show notes of every episode, so be sure to check those out. We wouldn't be mentioning them if uh, it wasn't good products that our friends were putting out. Mm -hmm. Digital Books and Sales, Todd, actually, there were no new ones this okay. week. Okay, really? Uh, everything is all holdovers from last week. Um, you know, last week, kind of everyone had their sales going from uh, the 3rd to the 7th, if you mm -hmm. will. Right. Uh, so I think maybe giving everyone that last week of the year off, um, <laughs> but you know, it's all the same stuff from last week. You have two days left to get all the dark horse aliens and predators stuff digitally mm -hmm. before, uh, Marvel scrubs it all from the, uh, internet and you have to buy it all over again. Right. Till they gobble it up and, you know, print it up and spit it out again. Yep. But pretty much every major company outside of that, um, DC, uh, or, yeah, DC Marvel doing a bunch of sales uh, individually on different things. Uh, two th year 2000 instant classics, greatest runs, holiday sales, and stuff like that. Dark Horse Image, Dynamite, IDW, Boom, and Valiant all having line-wide sales on stuff as well. So be mm -hmm. sure to check that out if you're looking for some stuff there. 
Uh, now, Todd, it is time to get into what we read from this past week. Um, do you want to start with the book we were both looking forward to, King in Black number two? Yes, King in okay. Black number two, continuation of Null and his attack on things in New York. Our superheroes specifically taking out Eddie Brock Venom, separating him from his Venom symbiote. Uh, Tony Stark gets the idea that we need, the only way that we could take Null down is Eddie Brock has this connection, but he needs a symbiote. So they go get one of Null's dragons, and they're going to pull the symbiote off one of those and attempt to attach it to Eddie, and things do not go as planned. Right, and I do like the fact that uh, Eddie, you know, because the last issue ended with a cliffhanger, literally... Mm -hmm. Um, well, building hanger of Eddie falling off the building without the symbiote to save him. And that's where we retrieve here. But I did like that the Venom issue that bridges this was the whole issue was just the, you know, the 30 story fall, which was yes. fun that you could tell a whole story in just in just falling. But to get to here, uh, I enjoyed this, 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 uh, the story with Stegman's art looked really good. I like the fact that, um, He's no Doctor Doom, but anytime Namor can strut into the room and just be a jerk, I'm 100% fine with it because he's like, I'll bring my army along and like the things that, you know, we've lost so many players and they're becoming venomized and stuff. Uh, that and then finally, like the reveal at the end of what's like, you know, going on uh, with Eddie and happening to him because they brought the the, the symbiote to him and whether it works or not. Um I, I just really like this as much as I disliked Absolute Carnage. I'm liking King in Black. So this issue, um, you know, I kind of glossed over the main plot of this, okay? Mm -hmm. And you mentioned stuff that happens at the end and specifically Namor, right? And I was going to bring up Namor, um, but this issue is more so the introduction to all of the side books without... Okay. Some work a little less ham-fisted than others. Right. Um, and, they, but, you know, like, they work, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, we had talked before about Spider-Man getting a new costume where there's the shot of, like, various X and Avenger people that are all, like, symbiote nulled out. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, those are that's an action figure line right there. Right. Um, and then we get a bit with like Jane Foster Valkyrie and then she's getting a tie in book. We mm -hmm. get the bit with Namor and he's getting a tie in book. Uh, we get the bit with Kingpin rounding up the underworld people. That's a tie in book. Um, but the way that they do these things, they don't in the midst of the story. So explicitly say it's like, find out more about this and this on sale next month or whatever it is. Right. Right. There's just a checklist at the end of the book. Right. Okay. But it's not part of the story where it's this thing that kind of hits you over the head. Um, but as you had mentioned, I thought the Namor stuff was great. Just like the little bit that I saw of Namor in this. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, I want to read more Namor doing this. Right. <laughs> right. And eh, not so much about, like, the nullified superheroes. Uh, the Valkyrie book is co-written by Jason Aaron, so legally I have to buy it. I tapped out on the Valkyrie book, so I don't see me getting that. Uh, you know, that one going digital only and then going back to 
print <laughs> kind of made me fall off a little bit. You know how I feel on that sort of thing? No, I don't. Have you, you've never said it. Yeah, I got you. But this is a separate miniseries, so I feel okay in picking this up. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I'll i say it one more time. The Namor stuff was great because he's a jerk to everyone, as he should be. Mm-hmm. And he essentially says, like, you know, these creatures live in darkness. You know, three-fourths of my kingdom is darkness. You know, right. who's better equipped to handle these things than me? Yep. And I'm and like, I, Namor, you make a good point. Yep, and I do like he walks in the room and immediately tension between Reed and Sue. Uh-huh. You just gotta love that. And and I do love, and in this, there's a moment with Reed that he... the My favorite Reed is Oblivious Reed. To, like he's the smartest man in the room, but he's usually the most oblivious. Like things are going on, and and Reed's like Eureka, and they're like, read the room, Reed. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like, oh, I'm sorry. Like what? Oh, okay. And I just I just kind of like that. It's just now I kind of want to see a Donny Cates Fantastic Four book. That's all I'm gonna say. For sure. Mm-hmm. Um. So. Let's go with Department of Truth number four. Okay, we'll make it a Marvel sandwich and go with the okay. Department of Truth. Uh, written by uh, James Tinney IV with art by Martin Simmons. Um, it's a great book. You know, it gets deep into conspiracy and political conspiracy and just political and conspiracy stuff in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the bit with one of his assistants and we're four issues in, um, you know, um, do we spoil it at this point? Who the commissioner is kind of a deal. Yeah. Let's just hey, say the you're... commissioner because you know, the, the trade is going to be five issues. Once the trade is out, once we get to issue six, we're going to name names. Right, right. But mm-hmm. this issue specifically is about a newspaper. A newspaper who was given information. Mm-hmm. And the commissioner, the head of the Department of Truth, essentially lays out what they were given and how far back that goes. And one of those things that I think if you were not... Because we all have, like, a conspiracy or two that we kind of buy into. Right. Um, You know, hopefully not as crazy as others. I'm a big fan of the joke that I do believe that the moon landing was faked. Right. And that according to some conspiracy theorists, they say that Oliver Stone was hired to fake the moon landing. Kubrick, but go ahead. Stanley Kubrick. My apologies. I'll take that back. Stanley Ku- or Oliver Stone to JFK. That's why that's on my mind. Not a problem, but I know where you're going. Go ahead. Stanley Kubrick was hired to fake the moon landing, but in the sake of realism, he demanded it be filmed on the moon. That's right. I always like the it was. It has to be shot on location. <laughs> yes. Um. So that one I I buy into. Right. That's one of the few mm-hmm. conspiracy theories that I believe. But this issue does such a good job that if you are not a conspiracy theorist person. Mm-hmm. That you see how a conspiracy is built. Yes, the nugget and of how truth. it can be believed by certain people, if that makes any more sense. And yes, and I do like the fact because this newspaper 
or news agency is just like the overall thing for all news in this because department of truth is, I don't know if you know this show, a very heady book and in it describing how a conspiracy can take hold, what is needed. Um, and like how the news can play into it just by saying the conspiracy doesn't exist can help it get a foothold. Yes. Cause they, they make the, the, not to interrupt you. They make, the statement in there essentially saying that it doesn't matter if it's true or not. Once we print it, that gives it life. Yes. Then it, and it also spreads it amongst the people like you without us, people don't hear about it. You know what I mean? Like we help it. And what do we do? Do we, do we say no to the story? And then the newspaper's kind of figuring out that somebody's battling to, to, get control of what is released to the people. It's very, it, it is really interesting. And it's also, it's almost like, not that I believe in conspiracies about news, but it, it, there is a realism to how the news affects everything. If that makes any sense. And I'm like, I believe 65% of all this, you know what I mean? Like how it all works. And then you have the fancifulness and it's like, it's like, no. So it's, with that kernel of believability, it makes the book about conspiracies better, if that makes any sense. Yes. Um, I just I just love, 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 love Department of Truth. And, yeah, it's a really good book. And the guy who was introduced, and again, it's still early, so, you know, some of the names, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, either we're doing our best to keep them a secret or whatever. Right. Um the guy who we were introduced to in the first issue who joins the department of truth, he is very hung up on the mystery that haunted him as a child. Mm-hmm. And the head of the department of truth essentially says like, they're all connected. Your thing is connected to the black hat and is connected to the woman with the crossed out eyes. It's all part of a bigger thing. Mm-hmm. If you go and do this thing for me, you could have carte blanche to go and investigate that other thing that you want to as much as you want. Right. And uh, he does. Let's see if he, you know, has the stones to go do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, and like you said, I think, you know, we have one more issue. And then it takes a break in the previews. Because when I was doing my previews orders, which, man, that shakes me to my core that I'm, that I'm doing previews orders now. Um, there's no... Department of Truth uh, 6 that they're taking at least a month break and there's also no uh, we only find them when when they're dead that month you're, which is weird. I, I hate to I hate to correct you on this but you're talking to someone who lives and breathes by this sort of thing is it um, two, uh, seven we, only, we only find them when they're dead is taking a break and Seven Secrets are taking breaks. Ah that's what I was confusing I was thinking they were all Department of Truth has an issue every month up to April Right. Okay. My or bad, Joe. Incident. Yeah, no, no. Hey, listen. I, I'm baby steps for me, okay? Baby steps. I'm I'm working it, you know? And I forgot that you probably have your triplicate notes, like, at the fingertips ready, so. Well, like I said, when I tried to grab the link for issue four, I accidentally grabbed the link for issue seven, which is March's issue, and then right at the bottom of the thing is, like, here's issue seven, here's issue eight, here's... Six five four three two one, and there's like all the release dates right underneath it. Okay, Marvel and DC can learn a lot from how Image has their website put together, (laughs) right? 
or just just you know steal the guy who does it. Right now, on the flip side, there's a bunch of books where when you go to the page, and this happened on a lot of the first issues of stuff. Um, Image has a YouTube channel where they do like uh, trailers for their books, mm-hmm. and a lot of the first issues of stuff that comes out when you go to that page for the first issue on Image's website, that YouTube trailer for the book auto plays when you open up the page. Okay. So there's been a bunch of times when we've been doing the show and we'll talk about like crossover number one, right? Right. And I, cl- I click on the link to open it up so we could talk about it. I have like the, whatever it is in front of me. And I'm like, what is this music playing? <laughs> and then I just scroll down a little bit and there's an, a YouTube video that's auto playing. Right. Just so you know, we don't hear it. No, no. I, I know you don't hear it. I know the listeners don't hear it, but I hear it and it drives me nuts. Gotcha. Well, you, you, you play it very well. You don't, you know, you don't give any sign that you're being attacked, you know, through your ears. You're just like, just, just regular Joe. So full transparency. There you go. So last but not least, we're going to talk about issue five, I guess, wrapping up this arc of Peter David's maestro story. Mm -hmm. So I know we talked about the first issue, um, we didn't talk about the other issues in between, but this is the finale of this part of it, and it continues from here. Right. Uh, so, the last issue saw the Hulk, Bruce Banner, get the drop on Hercules by poisoning him with one of the UFOs. Right, Vapa. And the issue starts with the funeral for Her- Hercules... Uh, Hulk essentially saying like, well, I'll be in charge now. And the people are like, wait a minute, shouldn't we have some sort of democratic way to do this? (laughs) Right, right. And, uh, you know, the Hulk, uh, you know, he tables that as one would expect the Hulk in this storyline. If you're familiar with the future and perfect storyline, uh, and the introduction of the maestro, but this story must be doing well enough that it's getting a sequel miniseries. Right, War and Pax, or Pax and War. I forget which one it is. Yes. Um, that being said, I really like this. I, I like this last issue because he killed, you know, Hercules, a.k.a. the Maestro, who, I, you know, I guess the Hulk's going to take over that name. Um, but, you know, Hercules isn't quite done in, like, the whole... Uh, reasoning behind him showing up again for a little bit, I thought was really cool, especially with what the Hulk had done to the body. So uh-huh. it was interesting. And then uh, Rick Jones's people going like, oh, we're going to stop him. And we have this thing from the archive. And it's like, that just goes as well as you would expect. And then the Hulk's like, I'm going to go find Rick. And we get into that cat and mouse game that was from the earlier issues of Hulk and Peter David and Future Imperfect, where... You know, there's Rick in the wheelchair with the with the you know the the cap shield and everything. I'm just like, man, like I'm not gonna say this was the strongest miniseries because I do believe in the middle there was a little, uh, but the beginning and the end, like it ended strong, and it gave me enough nostalgia for Peter David's run, a la Future Imperfect, that I'm like, yeah, I want more. I don't know about you, but I'm dead. Like I'm. I'm a Peter David guy, but I didn't get into the symbiote Spider-Man stuff that he was doing because I tried. I was like, all right, this is more uh, Spider-Man stuff. And I just really don't have a 
an affiliation for Peter doing Spider-Man stuff because I don't even remember him doing it other than a couple issues. And they were about Spider-Man fighting the wrestler who he did in his early days. But Peter David doing Hulk stuff? Yes, yes, yes. And Peter David doing above average to really good Hulk stuff? I'm all in. Right. So I'll say this, you know, obviously being a Spider-Man guy and being a Peter David guy, I also don't equate um, Peter David with Spider-Man. So I did pass on the symbiote stuff. I guess even though some of that symbiote stuff ties into King in Black, um, I'm okay with that. Um, Mm -hmm. You know? The only Spider-Man stuff that I kind of read was his 2099 Spider-Man stuff. Mm. But that's it. Now, I will say this. The Relics follow-up there at the end with Rick Jones. Mm Mm-hmm. I thought that was the strongest of the three. Like, that one really closed out strong. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, Dale Keown's art looked almost Gary Frank-esque. I and definitely... that's two, two 90s feels of the Hulk that I like very much. I think that was very on purpose. You know what I mean? That yes. was in- intended. And I thought that, too. There's the, the scene of Rick sitting there with the ghosts of, you know, Christmas's past. And that Hulk looks so Gary Frank, it's ridiculous. Uh-huh. I'm with you. Yep, I liked it very much. Um, and I'm excited for the, the next part of the miniseries. And hopefully it'll be a third if it's successful enough, or Peter David has more of a story to tell, or so forth. I look at Peter David like a uh, Chuck Dixon. He has as many stories as you need for the character that he's doing. <laughs> So that's what we read from this past week. Uh, Let's get into what we're looking forward to this week. Uh, If you head over to longboxheroes.com, every Tuesday around uh, noon Eastern time, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week, whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, or whether you wait for them to fall into the digital back issue bin that is going to be UCS. Be forewarned, be forearmed. Know what's coming out this week so you can plan ahead accordingly. Todd and I attempt to guess uh, what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, Todd and I are currently tied up with the final episode for the year here. Mm-hmm. Now, I know it's happened before, and one of these days I'm going to go back through all these poll posts and get like the year by year standings. Right. But I'm a lazy, lazy man, Roger. Mm-hmm. We need interns. But anyway, go ahead. We do. Um, but looking at... Oh, let me look at the correct week. How about that? There you go. That might help. He's distracted sometimes. But I don't think I need to look at the look at your books and him and Haw and scratch my chin and wonder what you're, what you're looking forward to coming out. Because... Um, it's one of those things is like who trumps who here, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's one book that under normal circumstances could very well be the book. Because you only have three books this week, and I only have three books this week. Right. Um, does the presence of another character dilute a character that you love very much, even though that's a character that you like? Or does a special involving the legacy version of, I would say, arguably your top, what are your top three characters? Top two, even? Could be. Okay. So I'm going to guess the book that Todd is most looking forward to coming out this week is the Ginny Hex special, number one. 
it is Ginny Heck special number one. I was trying to do a little like, you know, drum roll kind of a thing, but yes, that is the book I'm looking forward to. I have, I going in, I know nothing about this, uh-huh. what Ginny Hex is doing, blah, blah, blah. It's just called Ginny Hex special. I want that book. I want to see how like her on her so- first solo title, even though it's a, just a one shot is going to do and what they do with her and give her more, uh, screen time than her just being in the background during young justice you know right i'm I'm looking forward to that um obviously i was wondering because with king and black iron man dr doom fighting santa claus i was like oh is he gonna pick that one but uh i'm looking at your list your super big list of three books is the book you're looking forward to most batman annual number five yes um with the secret origin of the clown hunter, mm-hmm. amongst other things. So at least when they say stuff like that, um, I feel as though um, we it's are get yeah. It's 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 important. It's tied to the main book. When you have a, when you have an annual written by the guy who does the ongoing, then it's a little we're, yeah. We always talk about that. We're old school like that kind of a deal. Yeah. But so we ended a tie, Joe. Right, we end as a tie. I make no guarantee that it's going to be anytime soon, um, but I am certainly going to at some point um, do the thing with the stuff. Put things together with the stuff and the thing, yes. Right, so no runoff or anything like that. No. No, it's just it goes down in the book like kissing your sister, a tie. I guess, I don't know, I don't have a sister. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, um, I think what I'll do is when we do the show next, I will definitely have it done by next week, right? Okay. Um, what our year standings have been with the poll post. Like our year-to-year standings, right? No, no I get you. Uh, while you're over at Longbox Heroes, I may, you know what I mean? Like when the new year starts up, I may say like, you know how I have like Todd's poll and Joe's poll? Mm-hmm. I may have after like your name and my name are collective, like our records. Right. The rank. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I have done together, whether it be uh, past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, the 2007 smash since 2017 smash sensation. Todd and Joe have issues. I gotta work the kinks out, see if we're gonna do it again next, this year coming up. <laughs> right. Clocks are ticking, Joe. There's a plan. You gotta figure it out by next week, huh? Right, uh-huh. Okay. I did have a tablet with that stuff written down in it. I don't know where it <laughs> went to. Right. I have a gel cap. Oh, there cap. it is. There it is. I have a gel cap with all my notes instead of a tablet. Um... Also, you could check out our store where you could get uh, shirts and stickers and pins with our fancy logo on them. If you want even more, you can head over to our Tee Public store where you can get logos inspired by this show, After Dark, uh, At Odds with Wrestling, and Final Wrestling Place. Printed on everything from a cell phone cover to a sticker and all points in between. You can also support us by subscribing to our Patreon for as little as a dollar a month, you get not one but two bonus shows from Todd and I. Uh, one is previewing the past, where we look at that 
that month, 30 years ago's previews to see what the world of comic books looked like. And uh, as we're approaching the bu- the bubbles blowing up, hasn't burst yet, but, uh, you know, it's getting bigger. It's getting close. Uh, also, we're going to be doing six never-before-seen movies where Todd is assigning me six movies I've never seen. And I am assigning Todd six movies he had never seen, very similar to the old uh, Longbox Heroes After Dark Movie Club, or soon-to-be-named Network Movie Club, whatever it was called when we did it like two, three years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, And next week on After Dark is going to be the reveal of who is going first. Right. Whether Todd is going to assign me a movie to watch first, or I'm going to assign Todd a movie to watch first. Exactly. Who's going to get that coveted, you know, first spot? Yeah. Um, so, and like I said, that's as little as a dollar a month for $5 a month. You get those two shows two weeks before everyone else. And you get after dark, like three days before everyone else. Mm-hmm. Another way that you can help us out is by making any and all of your purchases through the Amazon click through at the top of longboxheroes.com. They call it an advertising fee. I call it the thing that makes Todd happy at the end of the month when he gets his cut of the money. <laughs> yeah. Some of the notable purchases through the Amazon click-through this past week include uh, somebody purchased weather stripping, mm. 18 feet worth. Wow, that's a lot of stripping. Was it an episode? It had to be an episode of The Simpsons <laughs> where Bart got a foster dad and Homer got a foster son. Right. And I think he had dreamed of Christmas or of getting weather stripping. The, the Pepe, the kid that Homer adopted. Yep. Right. They went looking at constellations, Joe. Oh, that's Jerry, the cowboy. <laughs> that's right. And that's the other big cowboy. That big uh, so dipper yeah. looking thing. Uh, somebody also purchased the all new Amazon Echo Dot. Uh, somebody purchased a Heroes Realm adventure storage box. I guess that's to store all of your Heroes Realms board gamey stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody purchased a Strut My Stuff on green vinyl uh, collection of obscure country and hillbilly boppers. Um, rounds up such enigmas as the hectic hillbilly bopper, You've Been Honky Tonkin'. The shotgun wedding scenario of my in-laws made an outlaw out of me <laughs> and many more. Oh, that's that's an album you can run shine to, Joe. Anyway. Uh, and somebody also purchased volume two of the Hammer Film Collection. Now, I will say uh, I am woefully ignorant on some of the lesser known Hammer films. You know, your big ones, of course, your your Dra- your Draculas, your Frankensteins, your stuff like that. Um, so I've seen The Revenge of Frankenstein, but a lot of these other ones included in this set. The Snorkel, Never Take Candy from a Stranger, Maniac, Die, Die, My Darling, and Creatures the World Forgot, I am not familiar with, sadly. Well, wasn't the Snorkel like the Smurfs but underwater? No, you're thinking of the Snorks. Oh, okay. Very close, very close. Ah, close, but I missed. Uh, so thank you to uh, anyone and everyone who purchased uh, anything from our Amazon click-through. And uh, listen to After Dark this week for another item that was purchased <laughs> in the Amazon click-through. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a spicy meatball. <laughs> uh, so 
Todd, did we have any art attacks this week? A we, we had three from Rebecca's art, who got it in just under the wire. Um, a colored pencil on black paper by Rebecca of two, you know, uh, clothesless young women. Um, I always do like when someone does art on a black paper, like it's a negative take on things. And I've heard this is done very, very well. And I've heard every artist that somebody brings like a black variant, uh, cover a black a blank, black cover on a comic or black paper to do a commission. They hate it because they have to think completely different in doing it because it's, you know, a negative of everything. Um, this is very well done and I've heard it's very hard to do this stuff. So I really, really like this piece and it good job. The hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 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 this is one of those ones where I would love to see the process on the hair. Mm-hmm. Cause doing colored pencils on black paper. One of the things that I can imagine happening if you are not a seasoned artist or at least learning to be a seasoned artist is possibly smudging your work. Yep. And obviously working on a different background, black, as opposed to your white or something else. Um, with a different medium, I could see that being an issue, and uh, you know that's part of the process I would like to see. Mm-hmm. Also, from Fred Chamberlain, he sent in while Jonah is a distant figure in the background. Jose Luis Garcia Lopez considers this page, Jonah Hex issue 10, page one, the best illustration of the character that I ever did. And that is a beautiful page with El Papagayo, you know, and his men ready to pick off Jonah Hex off in the desert distance. Um, That's a beautiful page. And, you know, I'm not going to lie, kind of jealous. I do need to get me a Jose Luis Garcia Lopez Jonah Hex page, but I know someone whose name rhymes with red Rainberlin is getting, getting them right from a source that I can't beat. So um, I've, but like I said, I, I love this piece. And if Jose says it's his best, then I, who am I to argue with him? You know what I mean? Right. Uh, I'll say this. Maybe you could ask this person to leave a few of those pages off at our good friend, Josh's house. When I plan my Ocean's Eleven style heist of his original arts, maybe I can grab that one for you as well. Right, right. When you're getting your Josh's stuff, you'll steal one of those. But yeah, Yeah. that is a beautiful piece. And finally, Joe, from me, the last of the uh, art attacks this year is the last piece I was owed and got from Kevin McGuire, a Dimitri Pushkin Rocket Red number seven head sketch. I'm a huge Dimitri mark. So this is one of the pieces I was looking forward to most. But I also had to go back to the table to get a small touch up. Uh Uh-oh. because when I when I commission this piece, along with a few others, that's all I'm going to say, um, you know, I gave my instructions because he has the little character and like what you want. And I, even when I got Dimitri, he's like, you want a rocket red? Like I'm known for my facial expressions. I'm like, yeah, like a rocket red is like the second dumbest character to get you to draw right after the question. You know, so, so I was like, no, but I want a rocket red with his faceplate open. And if anybody remembers, there's a famous scene where early on that Black Canary kicks him in the face uh, before he's joined the team. Then the rocket red on their team turns out to be a manhunter during Millennium. 
Um, and Dimitri shows up after that Manhunter is destroyed. And he's like, I'm on the team. And he's like, oh, and Black Canary, you kicked me in the face in issue three and knocked out my tooth and blah, blah, blah. And it's all there. And when I said, I'm like, I want him with the faceplate open. He's like, okay. And I want the tooth missing that she kicked out. And he's like, okay. So a slight amount of time goes by, Joe, before between the time I ordered it and the time I got it, right? So when I did, he was at New York Comic Con, and he's like, oh, I got, I'll have those done for you, the last three that I owed you. And I did a couple of them in the past couple. And I was like, oh, I'm waiting for Rocket Red. This is one of my favorite characters. And he's like, really? I'm like, yeah. So he goes, yeah, faceplate open, I'll do it. And he hands it to me, and I'm walking away, and I'm like, thank you. I look at it. And in my brain, I'm like, our transactions are over. I'm getting, and I kind of walk away, and I'm looking at it. And he didn't black out the tooth or draw, like, leave the tooth. And I'm like, this is going to eat at me for the rest of my days if I don't go back and do this. And I come back to the table and he's like, what? Kind <laughs> of a deal. Like, what did I do wrong? I said, oh, nothing. Just can you shade out the tooth? You have the pencil that you use. Like, it'll look right. And he goes, he's like, oh, why? I said, oh, because back then I asked if, you know, I could have a missing tooth. He goes, I thought later on we fixed that tooth. And I'm like, I don't ever remember that happening. And either way, I want tooth you know, tooth missing, Dimitri. And he's like, which one? And I had it ready. I had ready on my phone. I'm like, here's the thing. He's like, okay, shade it out. He goes, is there anything else? I said, no, we're good. We're 100% good. I said, yes, thank you. And walked away. And Josh was like, dang right. He'll shade out that tooth. for you." <laughs> you know what I, mean? I think you're at least owed that, even though I, you know, he did go a little above uh, board to get me, you know, some stuff, to make up for it. So, but I'm happy. I love that Dimitri piece. It, it is very good. Um, and I was going to say, if I was to guess the part that he needed to touch up was that tooth. Right. Could you, you can kind of even see it just a little bit. You know what I mean? But, if you know, you know, right. It doesn't bother me. And he, it's an awesome Dimitri. And if it wasn't for the fact that I don't like changing my, uh, my picture on my Twitter, cause it confuses you. I'm just going to leave it as Jackie Gleason as the bandit. This would have been my next one. Right. If I follow you on Twitter and you change your picture, I need like a written notice that you're doing it. Right. Your forms and triplicates and send it off to them. Something. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that's all we got for the main show, eh? I believe so. All right. So uh, everyone, thank you uh, very much for listening to uh, episode 535, Longbox Heroes. We're going to take a brief moment, and I'm going to take a drink of water, and we're going to talk about spoiler-filled discussion of Wonder Woman 1984. Now, uh, I'll say, Todd, I did not get a chance to watch this until late. Um, you know, there was some stuff going on this weekend, of course. Mm-hmm. Might have been preoccupied. Right. Mm. However, I was looking forward to this. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it was difficult, um, to avoid much of the discussion, the discourse on this as, you know, usually when a movie comes out, you've literally, or like anything new, any sort of like media that we would typically consume, you've got, you know, less than 24 hours before it's all out there. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, one of the things that I noticed was a certain someone. Let's just say their first name is The. <laughs> May have been gloating 
when he saw the digital advertising have to walk back by Saturday night the certified fresh that they had on all the uh, advertising for this. Was it the douge? I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, so the overall discourse online was that Wonder Woman 84 was not good. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm still going to watch it, you know? Right. Uh, all two hours and 32 minutes of it. it was long. Now, we're not going to do, like, a full review of the movie. We're just going to kind of discuss some things. Uh, it's supposed to be a period piece. It takes place in 1984. Um, Wonder Woman uh, works at the Smithsonian. Comes upon a wishing rock. Uh, a Dreamstone. Now, is the Dreamstone canon from DC Comics? I don't know, to tell you the truth. That one I was trying to look up, and I didn't get a chance. Because I know there's... Because DC has lesser-known, like, cosmic, you know, uh, props. Where, you know, the Infinity Gauntlet and the Cosmic Cube and all the other stuff over at uh, Marvel. DC's I don't remember as well, but I don't know if it's one, actually. Yeah. Uh, Marvel Marvel does a better job of kind of putting over their items, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so in the midst of this, um, Kristen Wiig, yep. who is going to be the cheetah, wishes she was as strong and as smart and as sexy as Diana. Diana. Yep. Not knowing that she's Wonder Woman. Not knowing that she's Wonder Woman. Um the Mandalorian wishes to become the stone for the gem mm-hmm. or something. I'm not going to call him the name they call him in the movie because that's not who it is. It's the Mandalorian. <laughs> the Maxalorian. And, uh, and by becoming the stone, he becomes addicted to he needs more wishes. So he steals people's wishes. And then he's just like a wishing man of kind. Mm-hmm. Um, and my friend Kevin Marshall actually said... Uh, his tweet about this was the plot of Wonder Woman was someone's um, Spectrox assisted first draft <laughs> that no one decided to flesh out. Did he actually use the word Spectrox? No. Oh, okay, darn. No. Um, a bunch of other stuff happens. The biggest uh, thing is Wonder Woman wishes for Steve Rogers to come back. Steve Trevor. Steve, yeah, Steve Trevor, and he basically uh, quantum leaps it, man. Right. So he just quantum leaps into a random dude. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So this movie is certainly flawed. Right. Um, but the biggest problem with this movie is, besides the effects, <laughs> is its runtime. Oh, it's way too long. You could have you could have scooped this movie down to like a buck forty five, and you could have appeased so many people. Mm-hmm. Um, primarily that opening scene with young uh, Diana playing in those Amazonian games. Right. I get why it's in there. It's essentially to show that Diana had it instilled in her at a young age that. No true hero is born from lies. Mm-hmm. We could have taken that 17-minute section out of the movie and just have Diana actually say, I was raised to believe this. 
You didn't need to spend 17 minutes of a special effects extravaganza that was, I don't know, was it most extreme elimination challenge for Amazons? Was it the kids' popular game um, uh, Fall Guys? What was it? It it felt as though this was an extra tacked on scene. Okay, here's my take on that scene. I really like that scene, Mm -hmm. but that scene is that 17 minute scene is followed by a mall heist, which is another 10 minute scene. Do you know what I mean? If like you, if they started the movie hot with that mall scene, mm-hmm. you're starting hot and like, you could slow it down a little bit, but it's like, you, you could, get this prolonged action scene that goes right into a different prolonged action scene. Right. That really doesn't make any sense later. Like I get it. She uses the tiara to knock out the cameras, but we've established that, you know, she hit her powers for all those years, but now they're saying the justice league movie, it doesn't count anymore. So I'm like, I don't even know. And I, I honestly kind of thought it was, let's put it, I'm going to get right to the heart of it as we're doing the movie is like Jeff Johns was involved with this. And you know what, you know, like as much as I dislike Snyder, Jeff Johns has to stop being involved in DC movies. Um, because of the fact he loves, because he came from Donner's group, and he loved this movie tries so hard to be Donner's Superman yes. at times. I and just I, even I don't mean not to interrupt you, but even like the look and the way that shots were set up, mm-hmm. it made it feel like this they were trying so hard to be Donner Superman. And I'm just gonna say this, and other people. Donner's Superman was what it was at its time. I liked it as a kid. Unlike Batman from the 66, I grew out of Donner's Superman. Like, I cannot go back and watch that other than evil Superman from 3, that era. Christopher Reeves is, is what he is. But man, oh man, the love for Donner's Superman taints everything. And like people like think that's what they want in their DC films. I don't mind some dark, but I want some light, but that was too much light. And I have so many like problems with, like you said, the, the, the movie that stuff doesn't make any sense. Like, like, uh, Trevor comes back. I just want to know how Trevor learns how to fly a plane, like a jet. Like, I get it. Like, you have to dispend belief and everything. But he does. Then they fly to Cairo and back, I guess, without refueling. And along the way, Diana learned invisibility off camera. No, no. No. See, okay. But, oh, she says she made a coffee. That, no, you can't say I did this before and I'm going to try <laughs> it now. You have to, like, she has to do the coffee cup bit earlier in the movie. Yes. Like, you saying can, I'm no, trying and, this. Go ahead. Sorry. That's one of those things where, like, the scene where no true no true hero is born from lies. We didn't need a seventeen minute thing of that, but at we least it's should there. have gotten a scene or two of her trying to work out the invisibility kink mm-hmm. instead of just saying like, "Oh, I made a coffee cup disappear once." The next logical sh- step is an entire jet. Mm-hmm. Um. So we get like a bunch. So we get like the secret origin of Diana's invisible plane, but it's not of Diana's invisible plane. It's her ability to make planes invisible or anything invisible. Or, so I'm like, coffee cups invisible. It's a little unclear. But then we also get the secret origin of Diana being able to fly. 
that was actually kind of cool. Eh. I didn't mind. But the other part of the movie... Like, I'm so that, mad I could fly now. Well, no, it was because Steve showed her how it's all about uh, the wind. Uh, but then she could lasso lightning and swing from it. So I don't know. It's very, like everything that they did, they convoluted it later somehow. Yeah. And I was just like, like, and everything, like there was little bits that I liked. Like I was not a fan of the wig work, if you will. That's a joke the bassist gave me. So, I, you know, I saw him say that. And outside of Mandalorian, like he was the only one that had like a real noticeable bad wig. No, he did a joke. Two eyes. Kristen Wig. Oh, there you go. So it was the wig work from Kristen Wig. But anyway, Kristen Wig, I, I see her as like the Ghostbusters character that she does, yeah. which is the same character, which does not work for evil villain for me, if that makes any sense. Like you can't heel turn her and make me dre like be scared of her. So when it happens, but I will admit like, you know, cause she's got the big glad that's the most Donner thing right there. It's the, she's Clark Kent. And then she turns into evil Superman and it's like, okay, I didn't, I didn't care for it. But the scene where she sees the cat collar again. Yeah. That to me was like, this is like one of the few legitimate good scenes in the movie where she kicks the life out of him. And then the guy, the homeless guy that she has been bringing food to, they like something they establish in the movie shows yes. up. And it's like, what are you doing? And she's just like, get like, she has turned on him. Like, get out of here before you get some of the same. And I'm like, I was like, okay, I could almost buy Kristen Wiig as Cheetah until she turns into the Cheetah at the end with CGI that they never really show you what she looks like other than one shot. I was like, okay, so your deal is you're going to make her jump around real fast so I can't get a beat on her. And then, all right, there's the shot of her. Now I know what, what Cheetah well, looks like. Well, that, like, And that's oh. why, so we get her as full Cheetah at the end, just like we get Diana in the full gold armor. Mm -hmm. So that we could just have two CGI messes having a fight and right. do no choreography whatsoever. Right. Which comes down to the thing is one of the things that I hate about the DC movies overall is they, uh, the new, the new DC movies, because you take Nolan stuff out of it, which is gritty and realistic of Gotham. Like the, the drone camera shots look amazing, but ev like, it, I feel like they were never on scene you know what I mean? They were always like, hey, I'm I'm at a mall, but I'm green screened in a mall. I'm, you know, on a street walking past a hotel, but I'm green screened walking along a street past a hotel. And I'm like, it like you could just see it. And it was so distracting. They're so, so distracting. But I did love the look of the gold armor on Gal Gadot. And that's one of the things just because it's Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. I'm like I could I could watch two and a half hours. Of this. Her <laughs> standing in the gold armor looked good. Mm -hmm. The CGI creation of yes. her fighting mm -hmm. did not look good. Right. Um. Like the way that they animated the CGI fight, like the the armor did not move the same way. If that makes any sense. No, I get it you. Moved like it was part of her as opposed to it like being armor. Right. It moved at like a it moved like a video game would move. Right. You mentioned Kristen Wiig, but early in the movie, I got heavy Jamie Foxx Electro vibes off of her. If oh, you've ever you... seen the terrible uh, uh, Andrew Garfield Spider-Man sequel. 
Oh, yes. Where he just apes Jim Carrey in Batman and Robin? Right. Well, no, he's a ner- he's a nerdy scientist <gasps> who thinks who thinks that Spider-Man is his best friend and wants to be Spider-Man. So right. he like gives himself the Electra powers. No. Yep. Right. So I was getting those vibes from Kristen Wiig. Um, you mentioned Kristen Wiig's performance. She was fine. She becomes hot by taking off her bulky cargo skirt. What? That's because she eight? fell asleep at the office and now all of a sudden she's hot. Well, Joe, that's the 80s thing ever where hot girl who has glasses and messed hair cleans up real good. <laughs> no, the most 80s thing also happened to this movie, Todd, where Steve Trevor jumps into the body of credited in the credits as handsome man. <laughs> is he really handsome all of his 80s fashions oh you have to have yes you do have to have a montage no the opening the opening scene should have been caught with young diana doing the fall guys gimmick mm-hmm. the 80s a lot of the steve trevor stuff could have been cut down um some of the effect shots of like wonder woman running when they were in cairo oh. looked like a goof green ski green screen sketch that you would see on a comedy central show that airs at two in the morning Mm -hmm. the only thing it needed was puppets doing crank calls right um oh and the other so the other thing is this movie is supposed to take place in 1984 right Mm -hmm. specifically like the summer of 1984 specifically fourth of july time okay Right, which I don't think they mentioned until the fireworks. Right, but still, you know what I mean? There's stuff that, like, Diana maybe has something in her, uh, in the apartment that has, like, says, like, May of 1984, right? Mm-hmm. So we know that it takes place after May. Everyone is in, for the most part, period garb, or at least they attempt to ape period garb as, garb as much as they can. And listen, I'm not going to be like some of these people online that are like, Operation Wolf wasn't a video game until, until 1987. That band shirt didn't exist until 1986. Right. I okay. don't get hung up on that either. Listen, I can't, listen, it exists inside me to get hung up on that very easily. But what did hang it up on me, hang up on me is they attempted to approximate period garb on every single person in the movie except diana diana was wearing pretty much clothing that would be contemporary today right and not in a 80s fashion throwback she looked out of place in every scene that she was in not as wonder woman which is 75 percent of the movie wonder woman is actually only in her wonder woman costume for less than 45 minutes of this two and a half hour runtime film but apparently she had it under her clothes in Cairo. Apparently. Because she got out of the, the Jeep or the car and I was like, wait, what? She, okay. Oh, all right. I guess, you know, clothes on, I guess armor under everyday clothes works. I, I don't know. You know. And then the other villain, of course, you know, the, the, the elephant in the room, you can call him whatever you want. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the Mandalorian. I wish we didn't see the Mandalorian's face in the TV show mm-hmm. because now whenever I see him in anything, it's like, he's going to be the Mandalorian. Right. I know he was supposed to be Maxwell Lord. I don't think Jeff Johns gets Maxwell Lord. Um, you think he gets anything justice league international Joe? Oh, I think he gets it and don't like it. <laughs> okay. Um, but I think this, and, um, 
very similar to who was the Jesse Eisenberg playing Lex Luthor as the Joker in Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. I'm I've always said that that they just gave Joker lines to Lex Luthor. Yeah, he did a good performance, but his performance was not Lex Luthor. Right. Um, Can I say this as a Maxwell Lord fan? Okay, Pedro Pascal as Maxwell Lord. He did a good. He, okay, Pedro Pascal did a good performance, but he was not Maxwell Lord. He was Maxwell Lord for the first few minutes of his appearance. Oh yeah, what he's doing, like doing the hustler oh, thing on TV, oh, and like he, you know, kind of acting like things are great when he has all these foreclosure notices and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But once he heel turns, and there's the father storyline, where and there's no mother. Well, she's off with her boyfriend. They say that in a, a one-off line, Joe. Ugh. But no, I'm just going to say, when he shows up and he's like, and he's do, he's walking around the, the museum because he wants to find the Dreamstone, and he's like, you know who I is. Like, you're, and he's like, yes. And he's doing the bit. He's like, life is good, but it could be better. I was like, they got Max down. Like, because that is such, he is just playing the part so sleazy. I always said... Uh, take, you know, modern day politics out of this. I always said, like, Maxwell Lord should be 60 to 70% used car salesman, 30%-ish Donald Trump back in the 80s. And that's your that's your Maxwell Lord. And he was there for a little bit trying to create the oil company and everything. But the... The, like he just knew about the Dreamstone. Like he had all this. Like the way we learned that he researched it is they found a couple of papers while they were searching his office. This movie was was thrown together so fast; it's ridiculous. Um, and wouldn't you know? At the end of this movie, in its film's climactic scene, the villain is bathing in a giant blue light that's shooting up into the sky. This is a trope that is in every... It's It was in a lot of the Marvel movies. Listen, mm-hmm. it's something that they kind of leaned on a bit, but then they eventually got away from. DC has had it in every single one of their movies, except Birds of Prey. Okay. But every single one of the movies, the villain is in some sort of thing, and the roof gets blown off, and there's a blue light shining up into the sky. Mm-hmm. I don't know why we have to keep doing this. Marvel it, stopped doing it six years ago, and you're still doing Marvel stuff that they've gone by. It's the new lighting the superheroes emblem on fire in gasoline. <sighs> Do you remember when that was a thing? I, now, see, personally, I liked it better when Thomas Jane Punisher uh, strategically set up buildings at John Travolta uh headquarters mm-hmm. so that when one explosion would go off it would go into his the explosions would set off into his corporate logo right because that's the sort of calculated brand positive person frank <laughs> castle is the only thing he missed was the tm at the bottom exactly but yeah no i get you on that and just the fact that like like the steve trevor thing was like what what about poor handsome guy, Joe? Like, we were just going to let Steve live in handsome guy for the rest of his life? Right. And so that's weird. And obviously, with the Wishing Stone, there are no rules. But, right. like, there was no 
designate, like, at least if you gave me something as to why this handsome guy was chosen. Right. No, other than she wanted handsome Steve. But there were some rules to the dream, to the wishing stone, but then they just went right out the window. Because I right. did let, I Because did the let... end of the movie was you just say, I rescind my wish. Mm-hmm. And but as long I... as enough people say, I rescind my wish, then everything just goes back to normal. Because they're like, and I, I, we're tearing this movie down, but there was a couple of good things. Cause I like the idea of when Kristen Wiig and Gal Gadot made their wishes, it was off the stone, the straight stone. You know what I mean? Then it took what it wanted. It was like, all right, it took, it took Kristen Wiig's humanity and it took uh, Gal Gadot's superpowers. But then when it, when it, uh, Mandalorian became the stone. He was able to choose what he was going to take from you. And then I was like, okay, this is, this is, and I didn't figure that out till later because I thought Gal Gadot's powers were being pulled away by Kristen Wiig, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Cause I was like, okay, that's kind of cool because then Kristen Wiig in the, in the white house goes, what did you give up? And what are you losing? And I'm like, oh, okay, now I put it all together, how the, the stone works kind of a deal. But by this point in the movie, I'm two hours in, and I just don't care anymore. You know, right. like, I, like, I just want to look at Gal Gadot. You know, that's basically what it comes down to. So we, we've said a lot about this movie. Mm-hmm. And I said I didn't think it was as bad as everyone else, but I did pick apart a lot of it, you know? But there is an after credit scene, Joe. Right. There is an after credit scene where, uh, you know, it was established that the armor that Diana gets mm-hmm. uh, belonged to Astoria, who was like the one that came before whatever it was. Right. And uh, it ends up being Linda Carter. Right. And I thought that was a nice touch. Right. With, you know, a little too much Botox. But anyway. Oh, come on, Todd. Come on now. I'm just going to say face didn't move when she talked. That's all. Um, but yeah, that was kind of cool. Um, and I knew as soon as I saw her catch it, I'm like, there's only one person this could be. And I do like that. They saved the credit till after it. So that, that was, that was kind of nice, but, uh, okay. That out of the way, it's now time to rank them. Right. So the films that we'll be discussing, are Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, Suicide Squad, Wonder Woman, Justice League, Aquaman, Shazam, Birds of Prey, and Wonder Woman 1984. Okay. Okay. How do you want to do this? Okay. Um, I think... Okay, so... Let me put it like this. Um, Man of Steel is my bottom. That's my bottom of the heap. Okay. Followed by Justice League. Okay. Then Suicide Squad. Okay. Do this in like reverse order. No, that's the way I'm going to do mine. Then go ahead. Now this is where it gets a little bit sticky. Am I going to watch? Because the the way that this comes is, what am I going to watch again? Right. Mm-hmm. Am I going to watch Batman vs Superman? Dawn of Justice again, or am I watching Wonder Woman 1984 again? And I think I'm watching Batman vs. Superman again. 
So okay. I put that above Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman 1984. I was going to say. So now... I would have to go, you know, four, three, two, one. I'm going Wonder Woman. I'm going Shazam. I'm going Aquaman. And I'm putting Birds of Prey at number one. Wow. That is a shocking top four. Yeah. So again, uh, from the bottom up, Man of Steel, Justice League, Suicide Squad, Wonder Woman 84, Batman vs. Superman, the first Wonder Woman, uh, Aquaman, Shazam, Birds of Prey. Okay. Now, before I do mine, I just want to say a few things before I start going up the list from, you know, lowest to, to highest. There are no, like, uh, like I, I don't want to say Winter Soldier because that sets the bar way too high. Um, there are no perfect movies here at DC. Do you know no. what I'm saying? There are no perfect movies. So I'm doing my movies by, am I going to watch them again? And some of the dumbest reasons ever that I will watch them again. Do you know what I mean? Sure. So I look at it. So I start off with right at the bottom with Man of Steel. I totally dislike Man of Steel for like a million reasons. I, I won't even get into. Then after that, it's Wonder Woman 84. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Right. I just, I I have never looked at my watch so much. I don't even own one. Um, While I was watching a movie, I'm like, is this movie anywhere close to being over? Other than the fact that I could watch it all the time because of Gal Gadot, whatever. But, you know, I've, I've torn it apart. Then comes Batman v Superman, which I hate most of that movie but I'll watch all the Wonder Woman stuff at the end mm-hmm. because that's where like, sh- like I was like, she's starting to shine. So that that's where it comes. Yeah. Not to, not to interrupt that end fight sequence and the Batmobile car chase for the kryptonite. Mm-hmm. Those mm-hmm. are two really good action scenes. I so agree. if those two scenes are not in the movie, this movie is like tied for man of steel is worst. Right. So, and I, I, maybe there's a couple other small things that I like, but, and I like the accuracy of the, the, the Affleck bats. It's little things. You know what I mean? I have to take my wins where I can get them with these movies. Right. Then after that comes Shazam. Wow. Which, Shazam yes, that low. Oh, I disliked Shazam a lot because I felt the tone was all over the place during that movie. And I disliked. Freddie, like, just, oh, my God, I hated him because he was like, oh, you can't do all this stuff. You can't be using your powers, like, for fame. But, hey, come and make me popular at school. And I was like, all this. This is all just dumb. The best parts of it were the youngest, um, the, the young black girl, Shazam, and her yeah. grown-up. That that was the most fun. Um, Savannah, I'm like, I don't even understand a big handsome Savannah, like, come on, like, give me the nerdy little, whatever. I had a whole bunch of problems with that. Then comes Aquaman. There's a movie that I have tons of, like, other than Jason Momoa being really cool, that's a movie that's so filled with effects, and I get it, the underwater stuff, but I even mean standing at a lighthouse. It's like, CGI light. You couldn't find a lighthouse? Like, I don't know. That bothers me. Then comes Birds of Prey. 
because of Margot Robbie. I like the movie, but I could also watch Margot Robbie for hours. Um, <laughs> I like Suicide Squad for the same reason I could watch. And th- this is totally just me being a jerk. Watching Margot Robbie in that Harley Quinn outfit for two hours. Also, did you know Katana is the female from The Boys? No. Hey, there you go. There you go. So that's number two. But I like Suicide Squad movie. That's a movie that's way too long. Um, If you had cleaned that movie down and got rid of Leto's Joker, that's a great movie. I love Boomerang in it, and I love the story. You swap Will Smith and the guy who played Flag, and you have – you have a way better movie. Um, so then comes Justice League. I, Justice League is a very convoluted movie, but it's the it's super fun. It has, uh, even though I hate the Flash in it, um, it has the scene where Superman comes back from the dead and Flash thinks he's going to get the better of him and he realizes how, how fast Superman is. One of my favorite mo- moments in all of like comic book movies. And then at number one is wonder woman for the first two thirds, third act falls right off, but no man's land is up there with Superman and Superman returns saving the plane. One of the greatest comic book scenes in cinematic history. I, that's a really weird way to judge all these movies, but it's the only way I was able to do it because I don't like most of these movies. I'd like to say that maybe you ranking Justice League as high as you did, I need to give it another look. Mm-hmm. But I look at Justice League and Suicide Squad very similarly in that you're, you know, and obviously as you rank these movies, they're like, ah, oh, you know, if they cut out the last third of the movie or they took out this character completely and switched the roles of these people, and like, then it'd be better. And I'm like, I don't know, those are the reasons I don't like them. Whereas like with Aquaman, listen, I get there's a very heavy... Uh, thing on effects. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I like the most about Aquaman is that it never stopped. It just like, it felt like you were on a thrill ride, which is what all of these other movies were going to be. And I know we had discussed this when we talked about Aquaman way, way, way back when, in that it felt as though they had an idea for six Aquaman movies Mm -hmm. and were told that they're only going to get a budget to make one. So they just crammed in the best bits of the six movies into one movie. And it really feels that way, but I think it felt the best because the pace of the movie was the best. Justice League has a couple decent scenes in it. Suicide Squad has a couple decent scenes in it. But those two movies suffer so much from, even if you didn't know that these movies had two different directors, the movies feel like two different movies poorly scotch-taped together. Okay. Where the tone... And the character motivations and the shots just change from scene to scene. And there's no real cohesiveness to anything. And I'm hoping when we watch the Snyder Cut, it answers all those questions. And I end up moving that to number one on my list. Oh, boy. When we get that cohesive nine-hour narrative. That will never go anywhere because we won't get the second half. (laughs) But now I just want to say, because you did bring up an interesting point with Aquaman. And it's the and it's the opposite reason because I'm gonna I'm gonna start with uh, Man of Steel and Batman v Superman and work my way to Aquaman because those movies you know how you said it was all action for Aquaman to me take out the action it's all like everybody wants to talk about how great Snyder is and you watch his movies and I say this 
the whole Luthor Joker lines, they could have been either. You take the way Batman acted and the way Superman acted with no emotion through the movies. You could have just swapped lines and suits and you would have been fine. There's no ups or downs emotionally in Batman or Man of Steel. Everybody just seems to just be monotoned and have no emotion. Like that's what Snyder goes for. So that's why I dislike those movies. But also for Aquaman, it's the opposite of why I get an action movie should be there, but it's like, cause it was uh Lynn who directed it and he did the fast and the furious and no, who likes fast and the furious movies, Joe. But uh, I look at it as it was all up and there's no down. And that's, that's like like a good movie. Like you take like the Winter Soldier, and it's like here's our action scenes, like Winter Soldier and Steve fighting, and he throws the shield and he catches it on the roof, and you're like jacked out. But then here's also the low key moments where like Steve is talking to uh, Arnim Zola in the computer, and it's like I'm like this is really cool. It brings it back down. There's emotion in Aquaman. It's all up, and in Batman in any of the Snyder's, it's all monotone. I'm like there's no Give and take, if that makes any sense. And that's why I just, I just, I just dislike Aquaman. It's like, it's a high octane nothing. And that's the way I look at it. And I, as I always said, rewatch that movie. When the director doesn't know how to end a scene, he has something explode. Like, literally. It's like tension between the, the lovers, boom, just uh, Atlanteans are, are shooting rockets at us. This happens. Uh, there's uh, like a quiet scene. Somebody gets thrown through a wall. I'm like, Wow, could, it's all star wipes at that point, as far as I'm concerned. So, I don't know. I've rambled on, but I think you get my, what I'm trying to say. I do. Mm-hmm. Boy, we got passionate about a couple of DC movies. That's right. I think it's because we, you know, um, prior to the Marvel Cinematic, uh, what have yous, I think you and I could probably classify ourselves as DC guys. Yes, yes. And the potential is there, and the Marvel Cinematic stuff showed that the potential could be there. And it's just, so many times it's either so close, but so far away, or just an abysmal failure. Right, right. I I agree. And it just seems like Warner Brothers isn't going to do, like, now they're talking about... We could have these and just be like, oh, we could do this and do this over here. The TV shows have shown us that we could have multiple actors playing the same characters and we can have all our different Batmans like the comics. And I'm like, you're, you're missing the mark again. Like, like you either, either the DC movies want whole hog, full cloth, a universe from the first movie. Or they're like, let's have a million universes. And I'm like, I don't really think either are strong ideas. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, but anyway. Just to kind of close things out with this, and this is probably one of the biggest problems with um, the DC cinematic stuff, is I'll never forget, it was the summer of 2014, right? Mm-hmm. I forget what Marvel movie came out that year. Mm-hmm. That summer, um, Guardians of the Galaxy, maybe, maybe, and Winter Soldier, maybe. Oh, that's a strong uh, yeah. So, for Winter, so Winter Soldier and Guardians of the Galaxy are your two 2014 movies, right? Mm-hmm. And Goyer was interviewed 
about like how Marvel has kind of gotten things together with this cohesive, you know, cinematic universe and the way that they're kind of linking everything. Where like Guardians of the Galaxy, so much wasn't directly linked, but we knew it was gonna get linked mm-hmm. if it did well. And Goyer that summer said, "It's too soon for us." to start doing an, uh, a cinematic universe where everything is connected. Right. Then, that September, the day after the first episode of the Flash TV show aired, they rolled out their expanded cinematic universe with someone other than Grant Gustin as the Flash. Mm-hmm. You just said, four months prior, that we don't have enough time to put this together. Mm-hmm. You were either lying about not having enough time to do that, or you slapdash this together. Now, we're six years on. What do you think it was, Todd? Do you think they were lying and had been planning this out cohesively since? Or they saw the success of Winter Soldier and Guardians of the Galaxy and quickly threw something together as fast as they could, as poorly as they could? I'm going to go with the second one. Okay. Do you think that's the right answer, Joe? I think that's the right answer. Okay. I think the fact that every time, every new year that comes, there's a new plan in place that has always been the plan in place, <laughs> or what we've learned from our previous failures, which is to kind of keep failing sideways. Right. Right. The the answer to all your questions is money. Right. And that's the thing. These these movies, for the most part, still make money. You know, we we, we malign uh, Batman vs Superman. And we say, oh, you know, it's a bad movie, but it made a lot of money. It made $800 million, and they considered it a failure. Yeah. But, like, the problem of it is is it's Batman and Superman, and I've told this story before as well. I'll never forget, like, I said to my kid, I'm like, hey, buddy, you want to go see Batman versus Superman? And he said no. I think he was, he would have been five at the time. Right. And, like... If you as a company cannot get a five-year-old to want to see Batman versus Superman in a movie, then you have failed. But Joe, that's not the audience they were going for. You know what, though? It should have been the audience that you were going for. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we we lament sometimes that if you make something for everyone, you've effectively made something for no one. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a way that you can make your movie that it appeals to as many people as it can and still be good and still make money. You just have to actually care. I agree. I mean, I could go down the whole rabbit hole of that, you know, for hours. But, like, you get this, the, the, like the Snyder people who are like, oh, well, super, haven't you read, like, 80s comics? Superheroes, you know, can be serious. And I said, yeah, they can be serious. The, the Winter Soldier has is probably one of the, and I want to say dark because the Marvel movies like, you know, don't get truly dark, but that's the most serious of the Marvel movies. And I was like, that's all, that's all you have to be. That's the, that's the bar. You know what I mean? And it's like, I don't need like Superman, like eyes flashing, ready to burn people alive because he's mad. It's like, I don't know. We've been over this like a thousand times. I just don't think, literally DC's empty suits understand their IPs. Just do not understand them. And listen, man, there was a time where Marvel didn't understand their IPs. 
And there was a time where Marvel sold off their IPs because they didn't understand them so much, you know? I think the different that being different, I think Marvel knew what their IPs were. They just didn't have something in place to go bigger. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, so when they sold those off, but they, also when they sold them off, they were they, Marvel was ready to like go into bankruptcy. But then, like when what they had left, it was like. Oh, because you gotta kind of remember it was kind of a little bit before Disney. They got really lucky with Iron Man being, and I say this completely seriously, a perfect superhero movie. A perfectly told movie, a perfectly directed movie, a perfectly a perfect story movie. Middle, beginning, and end. Boom, one character. And that being so good, and you got Robert Downey Jr., they built a franchise. They should just build a wing at Disneyland for Robert Downey Jr. Without that, who knows where we'd be today. Yeah. But then DC's just like, we want that, but we don't want to put any of the work in. I don't know. But anyway. All right. We've we've lamented these poor movies enough. Yes, I'm getting my blood pressure's going up. So I think <laughs> And what's stop. what's the next DC one? The Suicide Squad by Jimmy Pistol. Right, which I you know, I have hopes for, but who knows? And as much as, you know, we talk about how much we like him and you like him more than me. Cause he's done some of the horror stuff. I just, I don't even know what we're going to get. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I have a feeling as much as Marvel puts their hand in the pie, because obviously you, you got rid of Joss Whedon who made the billion dollar movie, but man, DC just fiddles, I think even more. So I don't know. I don't know. And I don't even know what's after that black Adam. Uh, who boy. That's Cause that's question. when it gets sketchy. Like, we're we're on our seventh try for the Flash, I think. And is Ezra Miller going to come back now? So allegedly, next is the um, who's the boy from Twilight? Uh, Batman movie. Oh, I know uh, the Reeves movie. Uh, I can't think of his name. Who's playing uh, Batman? I'm Pat Pattinson, Robert Pattinson. Yes. Yep, I have. I have weird faith in that because I've, I'm a big fan of Reeves as a director. Yeah. Um, the little that I've seen of that, I'm like, okay, this could be good, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I said, so it's Suicide Squad, that Batman movie, the Flash movie. Maybe. Um, Aquaman 2. Hey, they didn't use every storyline in the first one. And Shazam 2. Shazam? I thought there was a Black Adam movie okay, before. Okay, so there is a Black Adam movie. But that one still says pre-production, and there's like no date announced. Right. I I wonder if he'll show up in the Shazam movie, Joe. Right. I assume that that's what they're gonna do. You know. Right. I actually thought not to go, not to you know, draw this out. I thought they were gonna set some of the groundwork in the Middle East for for Black Adam's country, whatever one it was, setting like the groundwork. Do you know what I mean? Like where he takes over. I don't know. I just, I honestly thought there was a chance we'd see black Adam in this. Cause he's kind of like immortal. Yep. But anyway, anyway. All right. So th- thank you for bearing with us with this extended look at the DC extended cinematic universe, whatever they call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, now finally closing out episode five thirty five of long box heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying thank you everyone for listening, and we'll see you all next week.
Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Boo!